Then the king said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning, and we trust that once again you are here with us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Now, I feel like we can hear this statement in a couple different ways. Many people read this in sort of a purely historical way, that that Jesus is opening the kingdom of heaven from just being for the Jews, the chosen people, to everyone, to Jew and Gentile alike. The, The wedding just wants to have a full house. And if the people who are invited, if the chosen ones don't want to come, fine. We'll throw it open to everyone. And this is true. This, this is part of what Jesus is saying. But I don't think it's the most profound thing that Jesus is saying. He's getting at something much deeper. He's, this is a story of, of invitation and acceptability and, and worthiness. How we get in and how we stay in at the party. This king is throwing a big wedding party for his son. He sends out the invitations probably to the best and brightest people in the kingdom. Remember, he's the king. And when he sends his servants out to pick up the people who are invited, they say that they don't want to come. He's even providing limo service, right? He's, he sends servants out to pick up the people that he's invited to the party, and they say they don't want to come. So he sends more servants. He says, remind them how good the party's going to be. Remind them about my fatted calf and my oxen and all the preparations I've made. But the people who he's invited, it says, make light of it. They make fun of his party, the king's party. They make fun of it. Some of the guests even mistreat and kill the messengers. When you you send out somebody to pick up your guest, the the last thing you want to hear is that the limo driver got killed. Right? That's, that's not really uh, what you want the guests at your party to be doing. So the king it says, uh, I love this one sentence, he, he sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Moving on with the parable. <laughs> so the king decides he wants a full house. His son's getting married, he wants a big party, and so he tells his servants to go into the streets and bring in whoever they find, anyone at all. So this is a great story for people like us, right? People like you and me who aren't necessarily on the A-list. More than just being about the people who got the invitation to the best party in town, this is about the next group. The non-A-listers, the ones like us who wouldn't ordinarily get invited to a party like this. Jesus... The kingdom of heaven is a party. And the invitation has been extended to those who wouldn't ordinarily 
get in. When the king opens his invitation, we read that both good and bad people came to the wedding. It says that specifically. Everyone came, both good and bad. Now, the original people who were invited were probably the sort of people who get invited to all the good parties, right? The, the sort of Hollywood elite. It's as if when Brad and Angelina got married, no one on their list accepted the invitation. Can you imagine? Brangelina announces their wedding, and then they have to end up inviting hundreds of folks just off the street from around their house. I don't know what street that would be, of course, whether it's in California or France or Rwanda or one of the many places that Brad and Angelina live. Anyway, that would be quite the situation, though, wouldn't it? We'd read about that in the newspapers, that nobody accepted their wedding invitation, and they had to invite hundreds of people off the street to have a good party. But that's what's happened here. Hundreds of Joe Schmoes are getting into the party of the century, the kingdom of God. We like stories like this, right? Stories like this give us a chance. If the A-listers don't get to go, maybe our name will eventually come up. Maybe we'll get to go to this great party. And this is what the gospel it's all about, right? Jesus didn't come for the good, the fancy people, the ones who sleep well at night, who make a lot of money and don't feel guilty about it, and have success of oozing out of their pores. The gospel is that Jesus came to the rest of us, the street people who live our lives in perpetual fear of what might happen, who don't know how things are going to turn out and who wonder if we'd recognize success if it came up and smacked us in the face. The gospel is for us. Because Jesus is saying that we're the ones who end up inside the wedding feast. It's the people in the street who didn't get an invitation, who don't deserve it, who end up in the party. Amen, right? <laughs> What you just heard is the gospel, and it makes for a good sermon, if I do say so myself. A short one, too. But unfortunately, our reading doesn't end there. Don't you wish that it did? Don't you wish that as we were reading, it just ended with, Go therefore into the main streets, and invite everyone you find into the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets, and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The gospel of the Lord. There we say, thanks be to God. That's good news. But darn it, Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus says, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Yikes. I'd rather have not come in in the first place, thank you very much. You know, truly, this is a hard teaching. What is Jesus talking about? As I was preparing this sermon, I remembered 
that I, I taught on this piece of scripture at a youth group when I was a youth minister before I went to seminary. See, you always do um, your worst teaching to impressionable youth. Um, I think it's constructive, at least in this instance, to talk for a moment about what Jesus is not saying. So when I taught this scripture to a group of high schoolers, I said that this is really what the Christian life is all about. This parable is the story of the Christian life. See, the gospel is for the people who don't normally get invited to the party. Right? The gospel comes to you, wherever you are, out in the street, not worthy of it. And you get in. Jesus meets us just where we are. But once you get inside the party, once you become a Christian, you've got to get your act together. You've got to change your clothes. You can't keep looking the same way you looked before you came inside. You've got to shape up. The king's got a closet full of wedding robes just waiting to be put on. When you get to the party, when you become a Christian, you can't stay the person you were before. You have to change into a wedding robe, a robe worthy of the great invitation you've been given. That sounded really good to a recently graduated college kid who didn't know what he was talking about. I'm sure to an impressionable, an impressionable high schooler, that sounded like awful news. It's not enough to get in. Now you have to deserve it. Do you see what I did? I turned the wedding robe into a human accomplishment, something that you have to do. You get this wonderful gift of an invitation to a party that you never would have got into on your own, but now I'm making it so that you have to retroactively deserve it. Get your act together. Shape up. Change your clothes. The king invites these dirty, downtrodden people into his house, but when he comes into the room and actually sees what they look like, he's shocked. He says, wait a minute, why didn't you change? How did you get in here looking like that? Throw that guy out. So putting on the wedding robe has become something that the guests of the king have to do to stay inside the party. Even though they're in the party, they're not safe. They still have to be wearing the right clothes. And so what's important isn't getting in, but staying in. Sort of like the University of Arizona in that way. So there you go, I'll... I'll tell you my own parable. Truly, truly, I say to you, the kingdom of heaven is like the University of Arizona. It's easy to get in. Really easy. But if you don't keep up a good grade point average, they'll kick you right out. And we think that the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's easy to get in. Jesus invites you. In fact, he specifically invites those who don't deserve to get in. But then, once you're in, you've got to do the work. You've got to get your act together. You've got to shape up. We think to ourselves, have you ever had 
this thought, gosh, I'm not sure I'm much of a different person than I was before I started coming to church. I don't know if I'm any better than before I invited Jesus into my heart. Did I do it right? Am I really a Christian? Am I really in the party? Maybe I've been thrown out. And it makes sense that we would be. We fear that we're not good enough. We always knew we weren't good enough. We're sort of shocked that we ever got into the party in the first place. So it makes sort of a perverse sense to us that we might get thrown out one day. And though it does seem to make sense, it is dead wrong. Because we don't understand the profundity of when, what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about this wedding robe that the man isn't wearing. When Jesus' listeners heard the word robe, it would have brought up a lot of instant images for them in a way that it does not for us. When we hear the word robe, we think of a bathrobe, right? That's the first thing we think of when we think robe. We think slippers and a robe. But in the first century in Jerusalem, robes were really important. They were real status symbols. When Joseph's father wants to give him a really nice present, he gives him a robe of many colors. If we got a robe of many colors today, we'd think, where am I going to wear that? (laughs) One of the most important things for a priest to wear was a robe. In fact, all these thousands of years later, I'm wearing one this morning. When the prophet Samuel's Parents make the annual sacrifice. They make Samuel a special robe to wear for the occasion. So as you can see, robes carry a lot more meaning in Scripture than they do in our normal lives today. Today, like I said, robes go with slippers. Then, robes went with sacrifice. Samuel wears a robe when an an animal is slaughtered in the annual sacrifice to God. Priests wore robes when they made sacrifices on behalf of the people. Even Joseph's robe of many colors ends up drenched in blood as his brothers pretend that he's been murdered. This imagery of robes and sacrifices and blood is most clearly stated in Revelation in uh, chapter 19 where John is continuing to have this vision, and he says this, he says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings, And Lord of Lords. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. This vision is of the coming 
the second and final coming of Jesus Christ to set everything right in the world. His name, says John, is the Word of God. His armies are dressed in fine linen, white and clean, like my robe. But his robe, his robe is dipped in blood. And of course, the blood is his own. His own blood spilled for us. Now this association of robes and blood would have been well known to those who were listening to Jesus tell this story. And well known to the readers of Matthew's Gospel. And they would have all been able to take this connection one step further, just like we are about to do this morning. In the parable of the wedding feast, the wedding robe is the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, it's very easy to get caught up in sort of the narrative of these stories and wonder about the person who's not wearing the wedding robe. Right? How was he supposed to get one? He was just outside in the street and these servants came and basically dragged him into the party. What if he had the robe at home? They didn't really give him a chance to go home and get prepared for the party. They just brought him in. Maybe the king didn't have any robes in his size. What's going on here? But parables can't be read this way. Parables are simple stories told to illustrate a point. Not detailed plots with character arcs and detailed explanations. What's important is the point, not the plot. This parable has two points, and they're both very simple ones. First, the kingdom of God, this party, is not for the A-listers. It's for you and me, the people who wouldn't ordinarily qualify to be at parties like this one. And second, to be at this party, you need to be wearing a wedding robe. You need to be clothed in the blood of Christ. In in his letter to the Galatians, St. Paul says that for all of us who were reborn into Christ, we have clothed ourselves in Christ. So it is the blood of Christ alone that affords us entrance into the wedding feast of the kingdom of heaven, and it is the blood of Christ alone that enables us to stay. The blood of Christ gets us in, and the blood of Christ keeps us in. And when the king comes into the room of the wedding feast, when God himself comes into the room, the king of kings and lord of lords looks at us, he never thinks, how did you get in here? Because when he looks at us, he sees us clothed in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. We are wearing the wedding robe of Jesus Christ. Praise God. We are clothed with him. We got into a party that's way better than anything we deserve. And we know that we can never be thrown out. The person who came in off the street, uninvited, you and me, has put on the finest wedding robe. And whatever goes on under that robe is old news. It might still go on, it might not. But the robe, Christ's blood, shed for you and for me, is enough. It always has been. 
and it always will be. Amen.